Ezekiel chapter 34, I'll be reading verses 1 through 16. Let us hear God's word. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus saith the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, but with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, And put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. That they may not feed. Not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God. Behold I. I myself. Will search for my sheep. And will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock. When he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered, on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples, and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them unto their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines, and to all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their great grazing land. Then they shall be lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, And I myself will make them to lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Ascends the reading of God's holy word from the Old Testament. Now we will read from John 10. John chapter 10, 
And I'm going to read verses 1 through 21. John 10, 1 through 21. This is the text for the sermon, The Good Shepherd. So let us hear God's word. John 10, 1 through 21. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and are known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. There was a division, therefore, among, again among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. So as we begin this sermon, this discussion, this 
opening up of Jesus speaking of his own ministry under the metaphor of a shepherd. I think it's very important for us to understand the context in which this teaching comes. It comes on the heel of chapter 9. You all remember what transpires in chapter 9 of the book of John. A man who's blind from birth is healed by the Lord Jesus. And the Pharisees are very upset because word of the healing and the effects on the people are great. If you remember, the Pharisees then go after this young man's parents. They want to know who it was that healed him. They want to know if he's really been healed. And if you remember, because of the fear of being excommunicated, it says in the text, they reminded the Pharisees that their young man is now a man. He can speak for himself. And if you remember, as they interrogate this man, he asks the, he asks the Pharisees, would you be a disciple of him as well? In other words, he basically admits he's a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's dealt with unfairly. He's removed from the congregation. And then we have Jesus coming to him and comforting him. Here in John 9, we're certainly brought to the fact that we have to interpret Scripture by Scripture. Uh, And we come to understand that all decisions of church courts do not have the imprimatur of heaven. They're not all approved uh, by God just because some church court carries them out. Uh, We see that even in our Westminster Standards. They mentioned that councils uh, do and can err, and many times have erred. And so did the leaders uh, of the Pharisees. That's the context in which Jesus comes and gives this sermon. In this sermon, we have him uh, giving two of the I am's of John. I am the door, and I am the good shepherd. He says, I'm the door twice. He says, I'm the good shepherd twice. He will spend more time on explaining himself as the good shepherd than he will on explaining himself uh, as the door. But he sets this beautiful metaphor, this beautiful parable of a shepherd as a description of his ministry in this world, in the flesh and now in the flesh in glory. This isn't the only place we find Jesus to be the shepherd. We also find in Hebrews 13, 12, he is called the great shepherd. And in 1 Peter 4, uh, 5, 4, excuse me, he's called the chief shepherd, right? So he's the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, and the good shepherd. And in the, all of the context of these passages, we find Jesus as the shepherd who still has under shepherds. In the Hebrews text, uh, it's clearly referring to some commands that we are as sheep in, in the church to submit to our elders, uh, to take an interest in their instruction in the word of God. We find the same thing in 1 Peter 5. Uh, and even here, uh, Jesus speaks predominantly of himself being the shepherd, but it's clear within the context that he's envisioning 
there are other shepherds. Uh, even uh, in Ezekiel 34 that we just looked at, uh, we see that. Clearly here, Jesus is telling us that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, of the Lord's words uh, to the false shepherds, uh, the evil shepherds, the lazy shepherds, the foolish shepherds uh, of Israel uh, at the time uh, of Ezekiel. And so I think it's helpful for us to understand from this text and the other texts we've just considered uh, that Christ provides shepherding to us, here's a big word, immediately and immediately. He provides shepherding of us directly and indirectly. He shepherds us occasionally through those that are in authority over us in all spheres. In the civil sphere, in this family sphere, and also in the church sphere. But he also shepherds us directly. We see that uh, clearly in Hebrews 12.5 where we're uh, made aware that uh, we are, can be often chastened by the Lord uh, when we fall into sin. So some of you children, you might know what it means to be chastened. Um, I would promise you, your parents probably remember being chastened as a child, as being spanked. But don't ever think that your parents don't get spanked. And they still do. We still do, don't we? By the Lord uh, for our sins. Right? And he does it out of love to purify us, to show us uh, his displeasure uh, when we step out uh, of his will. But if we would just trust and obey, right? there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. But when we fail to trust and obey, the Lord is pleased uh, in his loving care to spank us, to get us back on the path. And so here in this parable, we have the parable itself in verses 1 through 5. Then we have an initial response in verse 6. And then we have the parable explained. Because apparently they didn't understand the parable, Jesus then explains the parable. And then in verses 19 through 21, we have this concluding response uh, to uh, the explanation of the parable. So first, in verses uh, 1 through 5, we have the parable laid out. All I'll say here is I just want to mention a couple things in these first five verses that Jesus chooses not to expand uh, in verses 7 through 18. So there's some things here in the parable that Jesus doesn't reiterate later on, or at least John leaves it out of that explanation uh, in trying to shorten, likely, this sermon that was given by Jesus at the time, right? He doesn't mention the fold or the home or the, this chief coat, sheep coat where sheep would, uh, shepherds would bring their sheep in the evening uh, into a place that had a wall. And a number of shepherds might come there uh, and there would be a gatekeeper and the sheep would all go in uh, to that fold, right? A picture of the church. Um, in Zechariah, the Lord God says uh, that He is unto the church a wall and her glory. The Lord does protect us, doesn't he? He gives us needed rest and he protects us. We also have a porter referred to here. This one that's responsible for controlling who goes in and out the door. Uh, And clearly this uh, is the father. Um, And I 
uh, was glad to see that John Calvin agreed that this was the father. Uh, gave me a little bit more confidence uh, in my own uh, understanding of the text. But also he refers here not just to sheep going in and out uh, of the door, but also shepherds going in and out of the door. And that the porter is the one that lets uh, shepherds in and out. And yet we're told that there are thieves and robbers who hop over the wall. They don't have the father's approval as shepherds. But they still want to be among the sheep. They want to be among the sheep to steal them. And ultimately to kill them. These are those that God speaks of in Jeremiah 23, uh, 31, where he says, they've not been sent, but they ran anyway. He said, I haven't spoken to them, but they're still prophesying. And those kind of people still exist today, don't they? They haven't gone away in the New Testament. They still exist. Wolves in sheep's clothing. You see that referred to in Matthew 7, 15. Some of you younger ones, I want you to understand that when Jesus speaks of wolves in sheep's clothing, you're not to have a picture of somebody in a wolf suit that zips it down and then all of a sudden it's a man inside. That's what it sounds like, isn't it? Like some kind of costume. What it's really saying is, A shepherd or a wolf in sheep's clothing is one who looks like a shepherd because he has wool clothing on. He looks on the outward like a pastor. But that's really not what he's all about. That's the picture. If you remember in Acts 20, 29, as Paul speaks to the presbytery of Ephesus that he's called down to the seaport Miletus, he tells them that some of these wolves are going to rise up even from amongst themselves, from amongst the eldership of a presbytery. He said, that's what's going to happen right here in Ephesus. And one of the greatest church planting efforts ever carried out thus far in history that we know about, in recorded history. Paul's there for three and a half years. He establishes a seminary. We're told in Acts 19 that the whole region heard the word of God. Churches like Laodicea and Colossae are formed probably through the students, the graduates of that work that Paul sends out. And yet he says, false shepherds are going to rise, even from yourselves. So that's what's not spoken of. But then in verse 6 we find it said that the parable, this parable spake Jesus unto them. I think in your ESV it says this figure of speech. ESV is kind of making an interpretation, right, from one word in the Greek. It's a figure of speech. A parable is a figure of speech, isn't it? It's a visual theology, as Ed Welch Uh, from CCEF would say this is visual theology this is helpful for us to see theology in a picture isn't it It says they didn't understand these things well guess what we shouldn't expect false shepherds to understand a critique of false shepherds very often unless the Lord is working on them by a spirit they're not going to be prepared to trust and obey 
They still enjoy disobey. So then Jesus explains the parable further in verses 7 and following. First, he says he's the door. He says, I'm the door. In contrast to thieves and robbers. In contrast to tyrants in the ministry. And are you all familiar with Jeremiah 5.31? There, God through the prophet Jeremiah says, The prophets prophesy falsely, and they rule by their own hand. And my people love to have it so. Do you know there's a lot of Christians that just like to get all the answers from the answer man? They just like to be told what to do by the tyrant. And they'll just head just like sheep right to the, right to the slaughter. They won't think for themselves. But we're told in verse 5 that God's true sheep, they don't hear the stranger. They don't listen. They listen to the voice of the shepherd. But here Jesus is the door. He gives life. He gives abundant life. In contrast to those who would steal and kill and destroy. Later on in John 14, 6, Jesus is going to say that I am, another I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying something similar uh, to that uh, here when he speaks of himself being the door. He gives life, he says, in contrast to death. If, if we only follow the message of false shepherds, we're told we'll be heading on the pathway to hell. Those that have a false gospel, but those that have the true gospel, those that are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, those that are under shepherds who listen to the word of the shepherd and repeat it to his people. They are the ones that his sheep will follow. Praise be God that he's done that work in us. We could be pictured before conversion, just uh, like that picture in Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. No life in us, just like Lazarus in the tomb. Right? And Jesus could say, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. But until... He did a work through spirit and making Lazarus alive again. Lazarus couldn't hear him. Praise be to God that because of the finished work of Christ, redemption accomplished, God by his spirit, Father and Son, send the spirit to apply that redemption to us and effectually drawing us to himself, wooing us to his son. And giving us a new heart that we might embrace the Lord Jesus as our prophet, as our priest, and as our king. So he's the door. And then we see in verses 11 through 18, he is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life, who cares enough that he will do everything necessary, including his death. And that death being willing to become a curse for us. 
to undergo the anathema of the Father for all of the elect. Then in verses 14 and 15, we see him speaking about his knowledge of us and our knowledge of him. And then in 16 through 18, he's going to explain uh, to the Jews there and to us that he has a mission to the Gentiles, to other sheep. He's prepared to call them sheep, even though they have not yet come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the counsels of God, in the covenant of redemption, they've already been marked out as Christ's. So first, he's the good shepherd. Shepherds, a sheep can't get home. If they get lost, they can't protect themselves. That's why they need shepherds. To care for them, they can't care for themselves. They can't get back to the sheep coat if they get lost by themselves. They're not like a dog or a cat who usually eventually comes back, right? Lost sheep don't come back. It would only be a random case that that would ever happen but it's not instinctual for a sheep to be able to return back to their home now there are many duties of shepherds and many duties of shepherds laid down in scripture let me give you 10 real quick there to be an example that we're to follow they're to know the territory That means they must know the scripture so that they can properly interpret reality and your place in reality to tell you what you must, what you should trust and what you should obey. They're to pray for you. They're to know you. They're to gather you. They're to lead you, to feed you, to care for you. They're to go after you. And they're also to protect you. And through the scriptures and as we consider the metaphors of a shepherd, we see all those ten duties. But Jesus here in this sermon of his focuses on several. Here in this section in verses 11 through 13, he's focusing on care, self-sacrificing care. He cares enough to give everything he's got for us. And that's exactly what he does. He gives his life. For the sheep, we're told in verses 11 through 13. Then in 14 and 15, we're told, spoke, talked to, or he speaks about his knowing us. I know my sheep. I'll read 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life. For the sheep. Here Jesus says, I know my sheep. Have you ever contemplated that? That Jesus knows you? Not just physically. Yes, he knows every hair on your head, John. Right? And every hair on Joy's head as well. He knows all about us, but he knows our inner being. And that's not pretty. Even though we've been made new creatures in Christ, we still have indwelling sin, don't we? And at times, we don't hold up the shield of faith to the fiery darts of Satan, and we take them into our thoughts, don't we? And sometimes, they go beyond our thoughts to our affections. 
And then we start wanting things that we ought not to want. And sometimes we even go after those things we want that we ought not. Jesus knows all that, and yet he loves us. He cares for his sheep. He knows us completely, but all his knowledge, all those things that he knows about are washed in his blood. And he's still pleased with us as people. That's amazing. That is amazing. He contrasts this with the hirelings. Now, the hirelings, I believe, here in this parable are not necessarily the thieves and robbers. These are the shepherds who are more concerned about their pay and their power than the sheep. And so we're unwilling to defend the sheep from the thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers that we're told will kill. In other words, if you don't give them what they're asking for, they'll be willing to take your life to get it. In Zechariah, the hirelings are spoken of uh, in chapter 11 as foolish and idle. They don't like hard work, and they really don't get it. They really don't see what's going on. They've fallen for the wolves in sheep's clothing. So they don't get it. They don't work smart, and they don't work hard. And so that puts the sheep in jeopardy. But Jesus says, that's not the kind of shepherd I am. That's not the kind of shepherds I call to care for my sheep. You see, narcissists and psychopaths can do a good job of mimicking external expressions that look like they're empathetic and care for the sheep. So it's not always that easy to spy them out, is it? Sometimes it takes a crisis where you finally see who they really are. The internal actually starts coming out in the words, in the eyes, in the redness of face. Many other expressions. That's when you see. They've been faking it all along. Jesus says, I'm not faking it. I'm crazy about you. I love you. The more I know about you, and he, doesn't, he knows all about us already. But I'd like to hope you, wives, I hope the more you know about your husband, you are learning more about his mess, aren't you? That doesn't keep you from loving him more and more. And husbands, as you grow in the knowledge of your wives as Christians, you don't grow in a bitterness towards them, but by God's grace, you love them all the more. In spite of the growing knowledge of their failings. That's just mirroring in a small way the way the Lord looks upon us. He knows us. He has an intimate relationship with us. 
As we look at, like in Psalm 1-6, it's not that he just knows us external. He knows everything. He knows the sheep and the goats. He knows us in a personal relationship, an intimate relationship. And we know him. And that intimate relationship, that intimate vertical relationship, should and does affect our horizontal relationships. You see, before we were Christians, Paul says in in Titus, we were haters and hated. People hated us, and we hated them. You want to see it really manifested? Just take a little peek into the drug culture. Or drinking buddies at the bar. You think they really care for each other when the going gets tough? Oh, but they're great comrades. Right? When they're huffing on a pipe or they're smoking their, smoking their weed or drinking their liquor. Getting drunk together. Oh, they're great comrades. Right? That's so shallow, isn't it? But Christian fellowship, it's real. It's deep. It's warm. And Jesus says that fellowship is founded on the relationship that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit sustained and always have from all eternity. That's hard to get your head around, isn't it? But the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity is a pattern for our relationship to the triune God and our relationship with one another as his people. So Jesus is a good shepherd. He cares enough to lay down his life. He cares enough to know us and still love us. And then he says he also has some other sheep. Particularly he's referring to the Gentiles. He says he must go after them. He must. He's going to say it's because of God's, the Father's command. In other words, he's referring to what's often called by theologians the covenant of redemption. The counsel, the discussion that must have gone on before, between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit from all eternity to redeem an innumerable host of people from all races, tribes, kindreds, and tongues. And this was Jesus' part of the work. Redemption accomplished. He says, they're going to hear my voice. Jesus is still executing his prophetic voice, even from the right hand of the Father today. He's speaking to you today. Paul says in Romans 10, 14 that that's true. When the gospel comes to someone through a vessel of clay, it's the Lord speaking. In Ephesians 2, 17, Paul writing the Ephesians says that when the gospel came to them, they heard Christ. Christ never went, as far as we know, to Ephesus. It was Paul and Silas and their entourage that went to Ephesus and preached the gospel. But looking back on it, Paul could say, Jesus came and preached the gospel to you. As he's preaching the gospel to you today. But he also executes his kingly office. He subdues sinners to himself, doesn't he? He causes us by his grace to lay down our weapons of warfare, to no longer be uh, at, at odds with him, to no longer have enmity between us and him. And he also, he tells us here, he carries out his priestly work again. 
He gives his life for the sheep, a reference to his atoning sacrifice. That's woven in this whole sermon of his, isn't it? He's the door. He's the shepherd. Yes, he's a shepherd that cares. Yes, he's a shepherd that knows and still cares and loves. And yes, he's a shepherd that's not only taking care of the flock that's already been drawn to him, he's going to go gather more and is gathering more. And yet woven in this sermon, we see the centrality of the cross, don't we? And how the Lord in his providence has woven together in this service this morning through the responsive reading, through the confession of faith in the Heidelberg Catechism, question 60, through the confession and even the assurance of pardon and the, the hymns that have been selected. Have you not seen how the cross has been central today? It was certainly central in Christ's work. But, you know, there have been shepherds of old. They couldn't fulfill Christ's self-sacrifice of, you know, to earn salvation for any. But we see Jacob being one that was willing uh, to give of himself radically for the sheep in Genesis 31:40. David, under inspiration, tells us that he was willing to protect sheep that were under his care as a youth from the lion and the bear. In the New Testament, Paul is pleased to say uh, to the Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, to a to a church that had apparently bought into a lot of gossip about him and uh, really kind of belittled him in terms of his speech and his looks and his message. He was weak. And he comes and says, hey, I've spent, I'm spending and I will be spent for you. I will give you, I have and will continue to give all I got for you because my Savior's given all he had for you. What else could I do? And Paul, when he speaks to the church at Philippi, a church that generally pretty healthy, very missions-oriented, he says, as soon as I left you, you're already sending money to us so we can get the gospel spread in Thessalonica and elsewhere. They got a little problem with two women that he's hoping his yoke fellow can help out solving that issue. But in chapter 2, he wants to make sure that they humbly are serving one another. And he gives three examples. The preeminent example, Christ. Then he gives the example of Timothy. He says, haven't you seen he's naturally cared for you? In other words, he didn't have to work that care up. It was just as instinctive for Timothy because he had seen it was instinctive for Paul. Because Paul had recognized that his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, it was instinctive for him. He gave his life on the old rugged cross. To bring us to one fold, to one church. Yes, in many branches. Yes, in many different tribes, kindred and tongues, but one church. And then we have the response here in verses 19 and following. There was a division, therefore, again amongst the Jews for these sayings. 
This shouldn't surprise us if we understand the book of John. John tells us in uh, 2031 what his purpose was. These things are written, I've written this thing, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. John's desire is to see people understand and believe in Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And the way John does it in the book is he continues to bring witnesses. First John the Baptist, then Jesus, then uh, the Samaritan woman and others testifying that Jesus is the Christ. Just like this blind young adult did. Testifying that Jesus was the Christ. And John is pleased to regularly bring out the response being twofold. Hostility and sympathy. He's then willing even to say within the the division of the the people that are positively respond, he's even prepared to say some of those that positively respond aren't the real thing. Like in John 8, after many believe on him, he says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. In other words, there's a lot of people that enter in at freshman year that don't ever graduate. There's a lot of people that hear the sound of the gospel, walk the aisle potentially in some kind of uh, evangelistic crusade, or maybe uh, even speak with the session after a service and somewhere, and then before long they've drifted off. They leave us, and John says, they went out from us because they weren't of us. There are some of those. He's not talking about people that moved and go to other churches. He's talking about people that leave the church because they realize they really aren't. They really don't fit with us. Goats don't get along with sheep. They finally recognize it. But here, the distinction is pretty much two, hostility and sympathy. Some say he has a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? That sounds like that's the leaders. Don't believe him. Don't hear him. Why would you listen to him? He's got a devil. You remember C.S. Lewis said that there's really only three options regarding Jesus' testimony. He's either the Lord or he's a liar or a lunatic. Here they're playing the lunatic card. Right Later... Leading up to Christ's crucifixion, they're going to play the liar card. He said he'd destroy the temple and raise it up. He said he's, right, to make, to get false witnesses. Here they're playing the lunatic card. Tyrannical leaders are glad to propagandize. And that's exactly what they're doing here concerning Jesus. He's going to upset their whole apple cart. Their whole organization of tyranny is going to come to an end. If people submit to him rather than them. You know, there are many that just go along with the crowd. Have you ever heard of this uh, sociology experiment that was done many, many years ago? Where they bring 100 people into an auditorium. 80 of them are plants. They've been told what to do. They put on the board three different lines on one side. One real short, one middle, one long. And then they put one on the other side, the same size as one of those three. 
Then they asked the people, which, one's, which one there matches this? Is it this one? 80% raised their hand for the little short one, even though the other one's long. Then 20 say, oh, it's the middle one. That looks like about the right size. You know, they say that they ask again, then they spend some time haranguing the people. The other 80 people continue to tell the 20, you're wrong, you're wrong. That small one is really the same size as that middle size one here. That two-incher is really the same as the five-inch over here. And guess what? Would you be surprised that in experiment over experiment, 80% of the 20 give in and say the two-inch line is the same size as the five-inch line? They're willing to go along with the crowd even though they can clearly observe it. This is not true. I hope the recent political situation over the last couple of years would kind of tell you this is possible. right? People can get in an echo chamber and just believe whatever they hear, even if it doesn't match what they see with their own eyes. That's what they're asking them to do. And a lot go along with it, apparently. Many said and others said. Here's the ones that hear the, heard the voice of the shepherd. Others said, these are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? They've just heard this sermon. They know this is not demonic. And a demon didn't heal this young man who was born blind. So what do we learn from this? How do we respond? You're here. So I suspect you're not of the first response. We do believe that these are the words of one who healed the blind. He healed us once we were blind. He gave us eyes to see. Eyes to see our sin. Eyes to see his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. To see Jesus as he is. As he's presented to us in the gospel. As the Messiah, as the anointed one, as the son of the father, as the savior of the world. If you've not come to him, I plead with you, come to him. He is the good shepherd. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If you have come to him, come to him afresh. Remind yourself of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, of his goodness, of his care. He knows everything about us, and he's got all the power in the world to give us what we need. That's why we can say, the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. Because there's something missing. Did you ever notice that in verse 1 of Psalm 23? It is a logical syllogism to propositions and a conclusion the first proposition is the lord's my shepherd the unsaid proposition is the lord is all wise and all powerful right the lord is my shepherd therefore i shall not want i shall not lack anything because he knows everything i need and he can give me everything i need there's no shepherd like that but the lord jesus christ And he gives that care to us directly and sometimes and oftentimes indirectly through those he's called, particularly in the church, to those that are shepherding us. 
So appreciate the Lord's care. Appreciate the Lord's care through those that he's called in your midst. Men who God has given eyes to see the truth. Men who seek justice and love mercy and walk humbly with their God and are courageous enough to do what's right without considering the consequences. Your blessed congregation. A blessed congregation. I just want to leave you with that. Be encouraged that God cares for the sheep here in this fold. He loves you dearly. He cares for you dearly. And so do the men that he has called to serve you at this time. Please let us pray. Let's rise for prayer and then we'll sing Psalm 23. Please rise for prayer. Our great God and heavenly Father, we thank thee that we can approach thy throne of grace through thy son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We come in boldness and confidence to thy throne, not in our own righteousness, but we come in the righteousness of another. We come in the righteousness of thy son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin and yet became sin for us, that we might be righteous in your sight. We praise you for his work of redemption accomplished. We thank you for his continual shepherding care over us, his sheep. Thank you for opening our eyes. Thank you for giving us the ability to hear your voice and to be gathered into your fold. We thank you for the care that you have demonstrated upon us in the fold that you have placed us in. We thank you that you lead us out. You give us green pastures. You give us places to lie down and not, not in and by, by still waters rather than rough waters. We thank you that you bind up those that are ill. We thank thee that thou dost go after those that are stray. We thank thee that thou hast protected us from wolves. Continue to do so, we pray. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.